0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. A long time ago, in a country far, far away, there was a young man who was born into a well-to-do family. They were Christians, and he had been raised in the faith. But he wasn't unbelievably devout. All things considered, he lived a fairly normal life for a boy of his age. One day, though, he kind of went overboard. In Bible study, he had heard the story in the book of Acts of the disciples in the first generation of the church who held all their possessions in common. He was still thinking about it one Sunday as he walked to church. And then that day's gospel reading told him to go, to sell everything he owned, give the money to the poor, and to follow Jesus. And right then and there, in the middle of the service, he turned around, he walked out of the church, he sold all of his possessions, he gave his inheritance to the members of his village, and then this man, St. Anthony the Great, spent his life in a constant quest to follow Jesus. He became the grandfather and the patron saint of Christian monks. Go, Jesus says today, sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and then come follow me. This is a challenging message, I think, for us to hear. It's not challenging because everyone in this room is outrageously rich. It's true that our quality of life, relative to the vast majority of people in the world, for the vast majority of history, is very high. We can all look forward to going home to clean running water, healthy food, and hopefully a warm house. It's also true that almost all of us have gone through periods of financial struggle and tightness in our lives. It's not as though we're this rich young man looking for the one more thing that he can do to become perfect. And it's not that this message is difficult because we're greedy. In fact, I think many of us, especially the people here in this church, are incredibly generous. I think that the message is difficult more because we have responsibilities, How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Well, that's for sure. Didn't we just spend half of September, Jesus, talking about welcoming little children, caring for children? And now you're telling all of us, many of us have kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, and you're saying, leave it all behind and come follow me. That'll work. So I think it's probably not surprising that Christians throughout history have spent a lot of time trying to get around parts of this reading. You may have heard, as I heard in a sermon when I was in church growing up, that there was a narrow gate in the city walls of Jerusalem that was called the eye of the needle. If you were traveling into or out of the city, you had to pass through this gate. And so if you had a camel that was loaded with baggage, you could get through. You just had to take off all of your bags, leave them on the ground, and then walk the camel through, and then go back and take your stuff in. If this is true, it's not so much wealth in itself that's the problem as our attachment to wealth. If you're willing to unload your financial baggage, as it were, you can still come in after you've walked the camel of your life through the doors into heaven. Well, this explanation is really ingenious, and it goes back centuries and has been cited by some of the greatest Christian authors. Unfortunately, though, it's just not true. Nobody's ever found any evidence in ancient texts or archaeological digs that there was ever such a gate called the eye of the needle. I and mean, even if there were, it doesn't really make sense of the rest of the story. If the disciples had known about it, why were they so greatly astounded? Why did they think that nobody could be saved? Well, there are two other little details that help me make sense of what all this means. First, listen to what Jesus says. There's no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields? I'm going to run out of fingers. For my sake, who doesn't receive it back a hundredfold? And then listen, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers, children, and fields with persecutions. Did you notice what's missing? What happened to dad? I don't get to help raise the hundred infants we now have in our 200-bedroom apartment? What does it mean to have a new family in this world? Why is father missing? The second little detail is not so much a little detail, but in the ancient agricultural economy that Jesus lived in, populations were pretty small. People didn't move around much. There were cities, but a big city was five or 10,000 people living in one place. And so the poor weren't some nameless, faceless group of people who lived over here, who you could write a check to a nonprofit or a charity, or who you knew that your income tax money went to help support through some kind of programs. There were your neighbors who had had bad luck. They were Daniel who lived down the hill from you, so his field had flooded while yours was OK. They were Rebecca, whose goat was eaten by a mountain lion when she needed to milk it. There was Isaac who owed somebody money and couldn't manage to pay it back. You gave to the poor by supporting specific people who you knew, who were living together with you in your own community. St. Paul knew this well. You may not know that in addition to his enthusiasm for spreading the church around the ancient world among the Gentiles, and his theological ingenuity in doing it, Paul's great passion was a collection for the poor. He mentions it over and over again in his letters. He'll conclude with, I send you greetings from Philip and Thomas and also remember the collection for the poor. By the poor, he meant, we think, some subset of the church in Jerusalem who were struggling, maybe from a famine or from some kind of civil disturbance or natural disaster. They were his neighbors and his family and his friends. And for Paul, the mission of the church around the world as he spread it couldn't be separated from caring for the members of the church who are already at home. So what does the psalm mean? How do we give everything away and receive it back a hundredfold? How do we find a new home with surrogate brothers and sisters with another house to take care of, but with only one father? I think that this is a message for us about the church. Don't worry, This isn't a stewardship sermon quite yet. I'm not saying to sell everything that you have and give the money to St. Anne's. Jesus' words aren't about giving money to the church. They're about what we as members of the church do with the resources that we have and how we use them to care for one another and for the world we live in. And Jesus sets a really high bar. The disciples know that they can't clear it. If this is what you need to be a true follower of Jesus, they ask, then who can be saved? But Jesus isn't talking about salvation. Jesus isn't saying that the rich man's going to go to hell if he doesn't do this. He's saying if he wants to live in the kingdom of God right here and now, in this age, he can. We all know that we can't take the things that we own with us into the next age. We don't know what that life will be like. All that we know is that we need to trust in God's love and mercy and it will all work out for us. Jesus, I think, is asking us to imagine what it would look like to live that way, that future reality in the present. And this is hard. For mortals, it's impossible. It's as impossible as it is to push a camel through the eye of a needle. It simply can't be done. And yet, by the grace of God, We're all doing it every day. The rich man wants a kind of certainty. He wants to inherit eternal life. He wants to be an heir. He wants it written in a will and signed and notarized that whatever he does, he's going to be okay. Jesus says, fine, fine, that's not the point. I'm not talking about what will happen in the future. I'm not talking about who can be saved. I'm talking about what it means to enter into the kingdom of God. And if you want to do that, the gate is open. I don't think it's surprising that after St. Anthony heard this gospel text in church, he went out into the world and founded a Christian community, one of the first Christian communities of monks. Like St. Francis, like so many others in the centuries since then, after he left his wealth and his family behind, he found new gathered wealth and new gathered family of people who were committed to giving up what they had to live in community with one another. God isn't calling almost any of us to be monks, I think. But there are clear and specific ways that we are already responding to the call of this gospel. We already support the ministry of poorer churches in our diocese and throughout the world. We do it through Swift to Love. We do it through our pledging and our diocesan assessment. We do it with our time, our energies, and our prayers. We already support members of this parish when they're sick or suffering, when they're going through a hard time. We already work to provide good educations and safe homes for our own kids and for our neighbors and for our friends. And all of these things, if we take Jesus seriously at his word that for mortals this is impossible, all of these things we already do solely by the grace of God. Jesus' call to us is always to be perfect, always with the knowledge that it's impossible. Is there just a little bit more that we can do as a community, as individuals, as a world? Only with God's help. It's not within our human power to give up so much, especially for those with whom we share no biological relationship, but only the shared childhood of our eternal father. And yet the gospel text stands here before us. No matter how righteous we are, if we want to enter into the kingdom of God right now, we still lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and then come, follow me. How hard it is to enter into the kingdom of God. For mortals, it is impossible, but not for God. So may God give us the strength and the wisdom to respond to Jesus' challenge, each in our own way. And may God's grace always precede and follow us that we may continually be given to good works because without that empowering grace, none of the generosity that we already live could happen and there would be no way that we could ever answer this call. Amen.